hello, hi, welcome to Enter Back to the Equitheory Podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and on this week's episode, we are going to get into a lot of things. Um, some things that I have been wanting to talk about, haven't had the chance to, or the inspo to, and some things that I've been avoiding, potentially. We'll see what happens, we'll see what comes up, but uh, yeah, let's get into it. Okay, you guys know the drill. Before we get into it, we do have to do ads. And the spoken ad I would like to say is if you would like to ask a training behavior and or general question for the premium feed episodes, you may do so now by becoming a subscriber down below. If you're listening on Spotify, you can subscribe on Spotify in app. And then there will be a form that you can like fill out and send or you can become a member through Supercast. That link will be in the description. But beyond that, let's roll the other ads. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Okay, we're back. So this episode, I have a strong feeling will be all over the place because I am feeling a little bit chaotic today. But last week, didn't have an episode. Why, you ask? Why did that happen? Um, because I'm a little all over the place lately. That's why. So basically, life has been completely absorbed my life has been completely absorbed by um preparing for the national counselor examination i am taking it i believe next week or so and uh that's a really really big test i think there's like 400 something questions it's like a four-hour test and um it is intense and i don't have to take it yet actually but um, like it has no bearing on becoming a licensed associate counselor, but it does for licensed professional counselor. But I can take it now while all the information that I learned in school is semi-fresh because it's over like counseling history and all that. So basically I'm having to go back and learn like reliability and validity and who did the Bobo doll experiment. Hint, Albert Bandura. Albert? 
I think is oh god now I'm second guessing myself anyway I know his last name's Bandura for sure um <laughs> but anyway so I have been trying to study and fighting the overwhelming desire to procrastinate that because I, I so much prefer I so much prefer to cram but like the book I'm reading is the Encyclopedia of Counseling by Howard Rosenthal apparently it's like the bible for the NCE test prep and so I've been reading that and it's like a 500 page book and I've been trying to trying to burn through it and uh it's it's taken a long time and I also will find any excuse to not do it I just oh my god don't want to um never been a good studier I it's something that I'm working on (laughs) um but I love studying things that I'm really interested in and I care about. I love researching and looking into stuff. But as far as studying stuff that is required, not so much. Um, plus, it's like stuff that doesn't matter. Like, if I'm going to use psychometric testing regularly, then yeah, I should know about assessment stuff. But like, do I really need to know all the nitty gritty details of it before I, if I'm not going to be an assessment giver? Eh, Maybe not. And I'm going to forget it. And when I do administer assessments, I'm going to refresh and research. Like, I don't get it. But anyway, there there has to be some standardization. I understand that. So that's where we're at. And forgive the rant. But yeah, basically last week um, in the time slots that I set aside sometimes to <laughs> record, I was studying and I was like, I just really can't focus on the podcast right now. I've got to study. I'm so stressed about this test. And, um, like I don't have testing anxiety or anything like that, but it just, it was like, uh, I can either spend four hours, you know, recording the podcast and getting it up and, um, you know, like doing the art for it and posting about it. And I can spend four hours doing all of that, or I can simply study and, uh, if studying felt right. So I decided to just go with that. So apologies for skipping last week. I am genuinely sorry, but also in all of the surveys that I've asked you guys, there have always been this, like, please don't record an episode if you're not into it, because we can tell and it's not good. Um, So the problem is then sometimes, like, I'm just, I'm such a, a schedule, you know, like schedule needing person. Um, I really struggle when there's not a clear do this X, Y, and Z every day or every Monday, whatever. Um, so if I'm not recording episodes on a schedule, then it just, I may never (laughs) post another one, which has always been my fear with everybody saying like, you know, you don't have to post every week, do what feels right. Just post when you feel like posting an episode. Um, but that just hasn't been what's happening. And I really think it's sad because like I've said in the past couple of episodes, like I feel like it's been a coming to terms with that. This might be the, the last hurrah of the podcast as it stands. Um, just because I'm not sure how much longer I can really keep it up, uh, feasibly. And I have just reached a point in my life, like when I was in high school and middle school and stuff, I used to love to have all of these different projects and all these different tabs open. But the older I get, the more I'm like, maybe my worth isn't really based around how much productivity (laughs) I have and like how much energy output, you know, all of the things like maybe I can just relax and that's okay. And, uh, enjoy life. Maybe I can 
have a day where I don't produce anything and I just live and do what feels right for me, maybe. Um, so in coming to terms with that, um, the desire to be producing and having 8 million projects is just slowed a lot. And the more I am in the therapy world and I'm practicing that, the more I really feel like it deserves my focus because it, it really does just require so much attention and I'm really fascinated by it. And I like researching. I've got a bunch of ideas for it. I'm excited for the next couple of phases of life with it really because it's, um, you know, like right now I'm hopefully graduating this fall. That was the other thing that really threw me off this week is that my school was like, oh yeah, we don't have your like candidacy plan. The graduation applications due this week. And if you don't apply, then you're not graduating and it will be like next May before you get your stuff. So, um, you need to make sure your application's in, but then they were like, we lost your candidacy plan and you have to have that to apply. And, for graduation. And so it, it has just been a nightmare. And then they like during the middle of my graduate program, my school got bought out by another school. So it, they changed over all the software and stuff. So, um, there was some like confusion over whether I had missed a class or not. And it was really just like, had me in kind of a tailspin trying to like prepare for the test and also like sort out all this like paperwork for my graduation. So, um, it has been a bit of a stressful time, but, um, you know, as I was saying, hopefully I'll be graduating in December if all that gets sorted. And then I fingers crossed, depending on the licensing powers that be should be able to, um, have my LAC, which is licensed associate counselor. And, um, again, apologies, everyone listening, that's not interested in becoming a therapist. Um, but I, I mean, everybody always is like that responds when I'm like, what do you want me to talk about? Is always like, what's going on in your life. And I know several of you that listen are interested in becoming therapists. So I feel like I might as well explain it. Um, anyway, so the, I'm like gonna be applying for LAC. It takes forever to get your license. But um, once I have an LAC, then I can apply for jobs um, at working as a therapist. Because like when you're under the intern umbrella, you can sort of work anywhere. But then after that, it's like you have to have your license to practice, which makes sense. And uh, hopefully, I'll be continuing on that that route and getting that license. And then it'll be like, 3,000 hours of direct client contact, so 3,000 hours of therapy before I can be an LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor, and um, yeah, so then I'll be unconditionally licensed and moving into like, hopefully, hopefully, uh, moving into private practice, because right now I'm working in community, and there are pros and cons to both, um, but you do have a, a little bit more freedom with private practice, but it's also more time consuming because you're like in charge of everything. So it can be a lot, but, um, yeah, so we shall see how this journey unfolds, but I getting those 3000 direct client hours is going to be like two to three years of head down working eight hours a day, seeing clients eight hours a day. And, um, I just, I really don't think, especially is it's not even just seeing clients, it's the notes that go with it and having to 
make sure that everything is insurance company audit worthy. Um, you know, that your notes would pass an audit and that there's a lot of paperwork that goes into it as well to stay on top of, you know, covering your back, the agency's back and the client making sure they are able to get care. And so, yeah, it is a lot. Um, but it's just one of those things that I really do enjoy it and it is going to require a lot of my attention and I don't want to be giving half to either, you know, trying to keep up the podcast and give it half effort. And then, yeah, so I think this might be the last hurrah. So I'm sort of focused on sticking it out through the end of the year and, you know, enjoying it as it comes to its natural close. But I mean, it's been, I don't even know how long I've been doing the podcast like three years probably. And I feel like I have really given a lot to it and I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, I don't know. It seems weird to like not do it, but I'm definitely going to hang on to my equipment. Um, because who knows, I might, might branch into a therapy podcast. (laughs) I don't know. Or I may start back up with horses once life settles down again. I, I don't know, but I know that I love podcasting. So keep an eye out. Don't unfollow. (laughs) Um, but yeah, what else, what else, what else? So other things, random updates. I cut my hair off, uh, which is a huge deal. Um, it's just one of those like irrelevant things that probably nobody cares about. But, um, if you've been following me for a long time, you know, my hair has almost always been at least to my like mid back and I cut it off at my shoulders Uh, just because the lob is in baby, like everybody's got a long bob and I was like, give it to me. I want that. Um, I hate it. Sensory issues overload it. My hair touching my shoulders. Are you kidding? It's the worst, but it is cute. And I like that it's something different. And I, I turned 25 not too long ago. And so, uh, I was like, well, this is what happens, right? You just cut all your hair off when you're an adult, but realistically probably going to grow it back out. Uh, though my neck is enjoying the break from the weight. But um, yeah, so those are fun things. Also in the realm of like personal care, health and beauty, um, my skin has cleared up so much. It has been quite a journey. Like I, at one point it was so cystic and so inflamed and now it is so much better. And I mean, I don't even remember when I got off birth control. I think it's been two years now. COVID really like did my head in as far as time warp goes. But um, yeah, it, that was a a very struggle bus time. And I know like acne may not seem like the biggest issue in the world, but you know, especially for somebody that was very used to being in front of a camera and like my face is my instrument, you know, like um, that was a big part of the reason why it was so hard for me to do the filming on the podcast and like do the video as well, because it was like, it was a whole process. I had to put on makeup every time. Cause I was like, I am not confident in my face. And now I have lots of acne scars, but I don't have like big open wounds on my face anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean the scars I'm fine with, <laughs> it was just the, the open gaping wounds that like made me you know, I feel like I held out for a really long time with being like, it's just acne. It'll pass. It's not that big a deal. It doesn't define you, you know, all the things. And then eventually like after a year and a half, I mean, I was like regularly having some breakdown cries about it because it was like, it just felt like it was never going to go away. It was never going to end. And 
I couldn't get it to a point where, you know, I was comfortable and confident with my skin. And it was also really frustrating to feel like anytime I wanted to leave the house, I needed to put makeup on because I just didn't feel good about it. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's a societal issue too, that like you can't like live and deal with issues and be a woman and not have a, you know, an attractive put together persona or exterior, but I don't know. I just, for me, I was like, I don't really want to deal with the psychological issues of it personally. I'm just going to put on makeup and chug through. Um, but anywho, yeah, so it's gotten a lot better and I would love to give a step-by-step of how I fixed it. Um, but really I think it was just being on hormonal birth control pills, um, for, I mean, since I was 16 years old and I think I got off when I was 23, maybe 24, something like that. Um, 25 now. So, um, had to be 22 or 23. It was right around my birthday to think just right before my birthday. Um, so maybe 2021. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so it, it, like all the books I read said, you know, post pill acne, like after you get off the birth control pill, your acne will peak at six months and then it'll start and like, just when you're ready to give up, it'll start to abate and not be so intense anymore. Um, and that is not what happened for me. <laughs> it just continued. It was so bad. And I had like, I've taken progress pictures and maybe that's what I'll do. I'll just like make a little progress video. Um, and like a slideshowy thing and put it on the, on the site so you can see that it, it just was really hard for a while. And I, I went to dermatologists and they were like, you need to get on Accutane. And I was like, I, I sincerely asked one of my dermatologists, okay, I'm not comfortable with Accutane. I have heard horrible things about it. Every time I've looked into it, it's like, you know, everything says like it's baby chemo <laughs> and it's, it's really, really aggressive and hard on your body. And, um, you know, I was like, I, my acne is really bad, but it's not like, it's not, you know, the people that I see get on Accutane have like far worse than what I dealt with. And, um, I was like, I just can't justify it. And I would talk to my doctor and be like, is, are you sure there's no way I can change it from like a nutritional standpoint? Am I deficient in something? Is it a hormonal imbalance? And she was like, no, you just need to get on Accutane. And I was like, "Mm, pass. So, um, I really just waited it out. And she straight up told me, she was like, the only way, like acne is genetic. The only way to get rid of it is to, um, get on Accutane. And I was like, I just refuse to believe that's true. And did my own digging and maybe there's some level of confirmation bias involved, you know, only turning to sources that told me that I could do it. Um, but I was like, I'm more willing to try that than the ones that are like, you know, you need to try these really aggressive treatment forms, um, where you're like ripping into your skin or, you know, harming your body from the inside out. And that was, that was my issue with Accutane is that it has a a really drying property to it apparently. And I have eczema really bad and I stopped taking cortisone shots every year. Um, I used to get them biannually and they give you a shot in your, in your hip, like butt cheek area. And, uh, the, the shot atrophied my, my butt cheek. And so I, it looked like somebody took a melon baller and like scooped out a part of my, my cheek. 
And I was like, I went to the doctor and they were like, Ooh, yeah, that's not good. (laughs) Um, sometimes, you know, you have those reactions and I was like something that will literally atrophy my muscle at the site that it goes into. doesn't feel good. That's my tiny pea brain. Um, thoughts, you know, I don't, I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice by any means, but this was my thought process as to why I chose to do what I did. So please don't take my advice like at face value, definitely do your own due diligence. But, um, you know, I was like, if it's going to atrophy my butt cheek, (laughs) maybe we take an alternative explanation. Now, granted the alternatives are very difficult in that it's like, um, eat anti-inflammatory, But, um, you know, nobody seems to really have a concise, like clear answer on what eczema is, but I mean like my armpits on the front and on the back of my armpit and my elbow crease and all over the top of my hand. And then it moved to the front of my wrist, um, was just like really dry, painful skin, like really awful. Sorry, this is like a medical episode, but (laughs) this is where I'm at. And, um, this is what I've been dealing with and focused on for the past like two years, really. Um, but yeah, so it was just like really intense, painful, itchy, dry, scaly skin and like couldn't get rid of it to save my life. And I still really haven't put like a, like, this is what fixed it. And it's still not all the way fixed, but it's significantly better. Um, it would always get worse when I sweat and I looked it up and apparently there is like, there is a phenomena, right? Where you, when you sweat, there's this bacteria that's produced that you can actually become allergic to. So you are literally allergic to your own sweat. And I'm not sure if that's what was happening for me or if like the salt from my sweat and then it evaporating was like drying out parts of my skin barrier that were maybe damaged, um, from scratching it. I, I don't know, but I have lots of theories, but no like actual answers. So, um, but yeah, I was like, I, I don't want to do the cortisone shots anymore. Cause it just feels like that maybe is not the best route. It feels more like maybe a shortcut and maybe a bandaid for some more systemic issues that I'm dealing with. Cause my diet's been horrible my whole life, like just chicken tenders and spaghettios. Um, so I started really researching more about, um, you know, eating to, address some of these issues and I'll be a hundred percent straight up. I have not been great about my diet, but for the most part, I do try to eat gluten-free cause I have a lot of the symptoms of, you know, potential gluten sensitivity. And I, I know that that is a, a scoffable thing. Um, I don't think I have celiac. I had a doctor bring it up once, but it seems a lot more intense than what I deal with. Um, but the, like non-diagnosed, like non-clinical level gluten sensitivity. Um, and that like, I think there are like four inflammatory food types, um, which is like wheat, gluten, dairy, alcohol, and sugar. And so really trying to resolve those areas, switching mostly to almond milk, um, and like, non-dairy dairy, but then that also gets sketchy. Cause then it's like, what is the alternative? Um, and I know like goat and I think Jersey milk or goat, goat cheese is still, or is preferable to like cow dairy cause of a one casein, which I think is an enzyme if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, so just trying to sort of steer away from that, Um, I've never been a big drinker anyway. Um, but 
really just sort of cutting that out of my life entirely. I mean, like every now and again, but I just, I'm not, I don't really like alcohol anyway. Um, so it's just staying away from a lot of things like that, trying to reduce my sugar intake, particularly like the, um, refined sugars, which have not been good at. Um, but you know, just making those little lifestyle changes and then, um, supplementing differently. And I got a lot of guidance out of reading several different books. Um, the period repair manual by Laura Bryden is a really, really technical book. Um, but it is literally a manual for everything you need to know about menstrual cycle and how your body literally works from the endocrine system and how to like, if you're having this issue, this is the thing that you need to have a look at. Um, this is the education you should have had, um, in, you know, like middle high school biology about how your body works rather than just like, you know, the usual don't have sex and you'll bleed once a month. And also, um, like what else, like periods suck and they're destined to be painful forever. Um, so reading that was really, really helpful and insightful. And also I think I've talked about it before, but Alyssa Vitti's books, Woman Code and In the Flow. Um, I think Woman Code is like step one, but I read In the Flow first and I think that's the largely more helpful book, but basically, and I'm, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people have seen it on TikTok. That's where I saw it for the first time, but basically it's about, um, how your hormonal changes in, you know, your body change throughout the month, uh, as like when you're in the follicular, the ovulatory, the menstrual and luteal phase, um, how, your hormone levels are during those phases, what your metabolism's like. And as a result, like when is the best time to do certain things? So like in the first half of your cycle, your metabolism is really slow. And so that's the ideal time to like really hit it with cardio. So in the follicular and ovulatory phase, do a lot of cardio and strength training. And then as you shift to luteal menstrual, your metabolism speeds up. So if you keep working out at a really high intensity, then you're going to go into fat saving mode, energy conservation, because your body's like, oh, we're starving. <laughs> it's actually time to, to not do that. Um, so we will not be losing weight. So uh, I thought that was really insightful because I've, I've seen so many women in my life struggle and I know that they're working out as hard as possible and as often as possible and just not seeing any changes. And it's, it's really frustrating, but you know, that's largely due to a lot of um, exercise information and studies are done on men because they're easier to study. You know, they have a 24 hour cycle where as, uh, people with female reproductive system, it's, it tends to be the 28 day cycle where you go through all of those phases of the menstrual cycle. And so, um, your body changes and it's really hard to study that sometimes, but, um, it's more expensive to study that I should say. Um, but to know that that's like how your metabolism works is insightful. So it's, it's more productive to rest during your men menstrual cycle than to like feel guilty and be like, I need to be working out. I need to be pushing. Um, so little things like that. And then also the foods to eat that and how they interact with your, uh, body system, your hormones, your neurotransmitters and all of that. And like knowing what's in the foods. Cause you know, people say like eat celery to boost X 
And it's like, okay, but sure. (laughs) Where did that come from? But to know like, and obviously it's, it's one source, right? I can only do so much reading about the menstrual cycle. All right. So I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure how accurate everything is. Okay. So take it with a grain of salt, but this is what I have read and what I've learned that has helped me. Um, and so, but to read about like what foods do in your body and how they interact with your endocrine system and how they support different hormones because they're changing throughout that 28 day cycle. Um, and to know, when to expect what moods. And if you get super moody, how to abate that? If you get super crampy, how to abate that? And, um, also like I did all of this, not because of any of those things, but strictly for fixing my acne and trying to figure out how to balance my hormones better. And a lot of that involved sleeping better, um, eating in an anti-inflammatory way. And, um, mostly sleeping and reducing my stress. So got really good about my sleep cycle, reducing my stress levels and sort of the, the final thing I think was supplementing different things. And the Laura Bryden book and Alyssa Vitti books really helped a lot with uh, me figuring out what I might need to supplement with for my body. And I know a lot of people have different takes on different supplements and I'm not sure how much I believe in it. Um, but it makes sense to me. So I'm trying it and I've seen the results. So I didn't, um, you know, test the variables properly per se, but, um, yeah, so I'm kind of like, now I don't know what I can cut out and what I have to keep doing, but whatever. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of, a lot of that going on. So that was 30 minutes of Jill's health update, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I know that may not seem like super important to a lot of people, but this has been a really long process for me and a huge journey. And so to see the changes finally starting to happen is like the most rewarding and like breath of fresh air, a sigh of relief, if you will, thing that I've encountered in a, a very long time. So um, yeah, I don't know. That's That's where we're at. Um, also something else that I don't know that I've noted, um, subject whiplash on you here just because I'm staring at it. Um, if you've never heard of obsidian as a note-taking app, you should definitely check it out. Uh, if you are somebody who is a little bit neurotic, uh, obsidian is fantastic. It has changed my life in terms of how I store and take notes. And, um, this isn't sponsored. I'm just literally staring at it and I love it so much. And me and my partner both got like super obsessed with it there for a little while. And now I just like keep my whole life in it. Um, so if you're techie, it's definitely for you. Cause it does involve like a moderate level of coding, but like, if I can do it, you can do it. Cause I am by no means a, a coding connoisseur. Um, but yeah, also part of this is me avoiding the next topic that I do feel like I need to talk about, but haven't really been super wanting to, because I'm not all the way sure how to do it justice, but, um, mm, yeah. Okay. So let's just, let's just do it. So trigger warning, (laughs) um, death, but God, I, I just don't even know how to get into it without like, I don't know. It's, such a a bumpy subject change, but there's really no good way to segue into it, especially from what I was just talking about. But, um, so 
I don't even remember when it was. Honestly, I kind of like just sidestepped the whole thing. But um, uh, I think it was a couple months ago. I got a message from the previous owner of the horse I owned before Zoe, uh, which I'm not sure how many podcast listeners have been following me that long. But if you have, you remember Bo. And um, God, I don't even remember the timeline. Um, I want to say, when did I get Zoe? I think I got her in 2016, 17, something like that. Because I got Bo in 2014. I think I had him four years. So 2018. I think that's when I got Zoe. Um, it's 2018 or 20. I, was, I think it was 20. Really? Might have been, I don't know. One of those years. And um, so I had Bo for like four years. Our journey was very bumpy <laughs> at first. And um, yeah, he, I got a, a text from his owner that he suddenly got really sick and they did everything they could and he ended up having to be euthanized. Um, I'm not sure all the way the specifics and that's not super something that I'm like really keen to inquire about because it, it just is what it is. Um, but yeah, so they, the people that owned him were wonderful to him and loved him. He was not always the easiest horse to be around and to deal with. He would bite a lot and he was not like a super big cuddler all the time. And he really was just difficult. And a lot of that was the fault of the people that had him before me. And I certainly didn't help with the situation. Um, I just, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And, um, the family that owned him just adored him and took such good care of him. And I just, I really couldn't imagine like a better place for him to go. It was really, cause selling bow was really, really hard. And, um, it was one of those things that I'm still very much in the competitive mindset. And I was like, Zoe's my level up horse and this is what you do. It's a part of the business. You know, if you, if you want to go pro in this industry, kid, you gotta, you gotta toughen up. And, um, you know, I think if it had, if I hadn't been so in that world, I don't think I ever would have sold Bo because I really did love that horse and he was so special to me. And part of me wishes I hadn't, but then, you know, he never would have gotten to be in Megan's life who owned him. And like, he, he really was just such a special horse that, um, you know, like I said, he was hard to be around, but I think he was one of the, my best teachers. Um, because like the horse I had before him, Dragonfly was, uh, you know, I've talked about it on the pod, maybe not on the podcast, but I definitely have a YouTube video, like talking about all my past horses and, uh, Dragonfly was just, he was just the best. Um, he's still alive and, uh, still local. I think, um, I haven't seen him, but, um, one of the girls that I used to ride with, I think he's at her family's place and we actually have the same farrier. So my farrier gives me updates on him, which is sweet. But, um, yeah, he was just the best ever. Like he's so good and he did not challenge me <laughs> at all. He was very much a teacher. He was very patient and very kind. 
and um, he just really gave gave me his all, and I competed him through training level um, from like being terrified to jump all the way up through training level. Like he was so solid and so special. And, you know, looking back on these horses, it makes me so sad that like I was ever in this headspace where I was like, yeah, you have to sell them obviously. And, you know, I'm a butterfly effect person. And I think that if I had never sold dragonfly, if I'd never sold Bo, I would have never owned Zoe and we never would have dealt with her colic. I never would have fallen into positive reinforcement and done the work that I did as a result of that and may not have led me to Azula. You know, I mean, you never know. And maybe all of that was destiny and regardless of whether I had sold them or not, it would have happened. But I don't know. I I don't know how wise it is or how useful it is to entertain all the, all the what ifs. But yeah, I just, I... I'm really grateful for the time I had with Bo because he was such a, a special horse for me. Um, and I don't know, it just feels right to sort of talk about his story. So, um, yeah, when I had was trying to sell Dragonfly, we had taken him to Georgia and dropped him at um, this dressage trainer that I often rode with named Cindy Thaxton. She had a student that was interested in trying Dragonfly. They wanted to try him out for a week. And since we knew Cindy and loved her and knew she was like super reputable, would take care of her horses, we were like, absolutely, just let us know. And we were like, pretty sure this lady was going to buy Dragonfly. So we were like, well, uh, my trainer at the time happened to be down in Florida horse shopping for another client of hers. So we were like, it's only five hours, so let's just drive on down uh, it was four or five, something like that. So we just, we already had the trailer from drink, bringing Dragonfly. So we were like, well, we might as well. So we drove down to Florida and, um, long story short, tried a bunch of horses. And I remember trying Bo and he had staples in his forehead from cutting it open on a horse trailer. And, um, we, I had, I was like already not super about that. And he had sores on his ankles from flies. They're called summer sores. Um, but yeah, he, he was just, he was a little busted. <laughs> and, um, so I, I got on him and I was immediately terrified of him. I was a very timid rider at this point. Like I was very comfortable on dragonfly, but not like super comfortable on other horses. And he scared me quite a bit. <laughs> I did not enjoy riding him. And, um, I, you know, pointed him at a couple fences and he refused. I am a hundred percent sure because I was not confident and I was scared of him. And so he was like, I don't know that you really want to jump that. Um, so I actually asked to get off of him and I was like, I, I know this is not the one I don't want him. And they were like, okay, whatever. And so we said goodbye to heartthrob was his name. And then we were evaluating the other choices. And so one of them, his name was Walla Walla Bing Bang. Uh, shout out if you know him. Uh, he was super cool. I really loved him, but they were afraid he was going to max out at like training prelim level, I think at the time. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing now. So I have no idea if that was true or not, but we kind of got the sense that maybe he was not going to be an upper level horse, which is what I was shopping for at the time which is ironic because Bo was not an upper level horse. Um, but, uh, then I got on, um, this other horse named Mo and the lady that was selling him, uh, was really sort of pushing him and he was super, super cool. But, um, 
and I liked him. I thought he was cool. I felt comfortable on him. And, um, we, I jumped him. I was like, this is the one they told us he was 13 and we vetted him. And the vet was like, this horse is like 18. And we were like, Ooh, no. Um, cause you know, again, in the culture at the time, it was like, I need a young horse with a lot of talent so that I can have room to move up and get more competitive and yada, yada, yada. So I was left with a couple options, either buy the older horse, um, go home with no horse or reevaluate the ones that I didn't like. And so naturally I was like, I'm not going home without a horse because I was 14 and I was like, I have to have a horse. And so I was like, I'll take Bo. And my dad and the horse shopper lady was like, what? Like their jaws hit the floor. They were like, you were scared of him. And I was like, I'll get comfortable. It'll be fine. And they were like, you, are you sure you don't just want to go home without a horse? And I was like, no, I really like him. <laughs> and they were like, Jill, you, <laughs> you didn't like him at all. You got off of him and did not want to, to like jump him. You were scared of him. And I was like, yeah, I'll get over it. It'll be fine. And so <laughs> I don't know why on earth anyone agreed to this, but we, we ended up taking Bo home and I rode him, I think for maybe six months. And then we started having all these issues. Um, we would be approaching fences like to jump and he, all of a sudden he would just start going sideways, like really, really fast. And I couldn't make him stop. I couldn't get him to turn. Like he would just like lock into the sideways thing. And, um, I had two trainers at the time and I just remember both of them being like, you know, he's being disobedient. He doesn't want to jump. And me and my dad, I don't know what was up with the intuition with this one, but both of me and my dad were like, that's not what's happening. Like they're wrong. And my dad's like not a horse person. I don't know where that came from, but both of us were just like, no, this, there's something else up here. And, um, we had the vet out and, um, at this point, Bo had started having an abscess and it just like, wouldn't go away. And my vet x-rayed him long story short, we found out there was a keratoma and, um, we ended up scheduling and taking him to Oklahoma for surgery, had this keratoma removed, which now I'm pretty sure they don't have to have like full blown surgery for it, but, um, or that it's like really a super big issue. Not fully clear on that, but, um, basically it's like this benign tumor in the foot that demineralizes the coffin bone. And so we had that removed and brought him back. And then it was like eight months of rehab because his literally the bone in his foot was exposed. And so we had to like every other day clean out this wound and change the bandage and he had to be on stall rest. And he was just violent. I mean, he was so angry to be in the stall. And it was around this time that I was like taking him out for a lot of hand walks and, um, like, uh, started trick training him to the best of my ability. And by trick training, I mean like grabbing a treat and luring him into position and like hoping <laughs> it didn't really work very well, but, um, there are lots of videos online of me doing this and, uh, sorry for the burp. Yeah. He, uh, he really was like the starting point of that because when Zoe was on stall rest after her colic surgery, I was like, well, that's what I did with Bo. So that's what I'll do with Zoe while she's on stall rest recovering. And, uh, let me, I want to do it right this time. Cause I was, you know, just a kid with Bo and didn't really know what I was doing. So I want to actually learn how to do it properly this time. And so 
when I looked into it, then I found positive reinforcement and the rest is history. So yeah. Um, basically Bo ended up recovering and we brought him back into work and I started competing him and I competed him up through training and it really just got to a point where I was like, he's not going to go past training. Um, his jumping form, he would always hang his knees and I have a feeling a lot of that had to do with the equipment that I was using, the saddle, the breastplate. Um, and he just wasn't like super well trained really. Um, I feel like his training got very rushed and yeah, there's just so much I would do differently if I had him today. And, um, you know, that was always one that I was like, I don't really like to live with regrets, but if there was any regret, it was a lot of what happened with Bo. Um, just because it's, he was so much more than just a, a, not a good jumper. And that's what he kind of got labeled as at the time. And I remember getting a lot of comments online of people being like, why does Jill have so many followers? Like she can't even like win on this horse. Cause his dressage was always terrible. He just wasn't a good mover, you know, like a pretty mover. He had a very washing machine canter. And again, I think a lot of that was just bad biomechanics and, bad tack and we were really doing the best we could and we were following the advice of people that you know I trusted and thought were leading me best and that's I think the hard part of the sport is if you don't get in with the you know the right people at the right time um, that stay current with information and research then you sort of just do whatever they tell you and um you know, when you're new to it, you trust the professionals and, you know, those are people I trusted my whole career and I don't fault them at all. They were only doing the best they could with what they knew and they were trying to do right by me and my horse, but a lot of it ended up getting blamed on Bo and I just, I think it's really unfortunate, but yeah. So I thought it was super sweet of his owner, um, to message me and let me know that he had passed and sort of give me the details, but, um, it wasn't super detailed and I didn't really ask, but basically he just got sick and it happened way faster than they, they could have imagined. I don't know if it was an infection or a bacteria or a virus or what, and I don't know that they're really all the way sure, but, um, he just sort of went downhill really fast in a day and then it was, it was over. So, I mean, the most I can ask for is that he didn't suffer and it wasn't, um, you know, hard on him. And I am just super grateful that he had people around him that were doing the absolute best they could trying to help him and fighting for his life and loving him and giving him the softest place to land. You know, that was the biggest thing for me that they were like, he will have a forever home with us. We do not get rid of our horses. We love them and it'll be an easy life for him. And that just meant more to me than anything. And I know that they, they loved him until his last day. And oh, it's just, it's heavy to think about. And I remember she texted me and I had a, a pretty rough day that day and, you know, cried it out and, then was like, all right, time to move on and just really haven't thought about it much since. And that's why I felt a little bit guilty, like even having it on my list. It's been on my list to talk about on the podcast for the past like five weeks because I was like, that should be like one of the first things I talk about when I come back. But 
it just, I don't know, part of me, I guess, felt a little bit guilty that I wasn't super emotional about it, but it's also been, I mean, if I sold them in 2018, let's say, I don't even remember when it was, if I sold them in 2018, that's been like six years. So no, five years. So it's been a really long time since I even saw him. And, uh, you know, his owner was always so sweet, sending me pictures of him and updates and, you know, just checking in and letting me know how he was doing. And I, I just love her for that. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Part of me was like, that was at this point, that was her horse. Like I don't really have much space to be upset about a horse that I haven't been, you know, involved with in five years that I gave up that I basically said, I don't want anymore. Cause you're not as talented as I need you to be. And there's, I think a lot of guilt with that. And I know that that's, that's not the truth. And that was, you know, a, a result of the world I was in at the time and that I wouldn't do that now and that it worked out anyway because he was with people that cared about him and did right by him. But I don't know, it's still hard. I'm sure a lot of you that have sold horses can relate. It's it's not easy to reconcile that with what you believe now. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just... Oh, thankful for everything that he taught me and pushing me to be a better rider and to, you know, sort of, I don't know. I felt like he gave me the opportunity to promote thoroughbreds. He was my first thoroughbred and made me fall in love with OTTBs, even though he never raced. It was a little bit stolen valor, but he, he was trained. He just never got like all the way jockey club certified and all that good stuff. He, a little bit of a, like I said, stolen valor. But I don't know. He he made me fall in love with the breed and he he just he pushed me and he made me, I think, the rider that I am today. And I'm very, very, very grateful to him for that. And he made me compassionate because he was a, a hard horse to deal with. And I I dealt with a lot riding him. A lot of people saying that he wasn't talented, that he was an ugly jumper, he was an ugly mover. Um that he was never going to be the horse. Uh, I remember I went to a clinic and I had Den Olympian be like, this horse is too much for you. He's, you need a, a different ride. And he got on the horse and couldn't make him not go sideways. And I was like, maybe it's not the horse. You know, I mean, that was really my first, first time being like, maybe the professionals are not the end all be all. And maybe when the horse is being disobedient, maybe he's trying to tell us something and the only way he knows how. And I don't know, I think that stuck with me and I just, again, all I can really say is I'm just forever grateful for him and all that he gave me and the other people in his life. And, um, I just, I hope he's, he's happy wherever he is. And I just, I don't know, man, it's, it's hard to talk about. Like I said, there's a lot of feelings wrapped up in it. And I try not to be super sad about death, um, you know, because there was a great life with that. And he left a lot of really, really awesome things behind. And I'd rather celebrate his life than be, you know, constantly mourning the death and focusing on that. Um, it just is unfortunate that his time was cut short and that I cut our time short or our time together short and, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. It's I'm sort of all over the place with it. Like I said, I feel like I avoided a little bit. I've dealt with a lot of horses having to be euthanized in my time being in the industry. And like I say being in the industry, it sounds so pretentious, but like, you know, versus just having one horse and being competitive and then like actually working on a horse farm and having to make those tough calls with different cases and how hard it really is. I mean, I, I think in the time I've been podcasting, I've made three different episodes on three different horses that have passed that have been really, really hard. And, uh, it's just one of those things. I think after you've dealt with so much of it, it starts to, you start to be a little bit jaded somewhat and avoidant about it because it really doesn't get much easier. It just gets more numbing in a way. And I, I really don't want to have that approach and that like numb to loss. I would rather, you know, feel it. And I feel like I let myself really feel it that day that I found out and was told what happened with Bo. Um, but also like not hold on to that so hard. Like all of those negative feelings, like I'm not married to them. I don't need to, to carry them. And I, I don't need to, to grieve for a certain amount of time to prove how much I cared, you know? And that's another reason that it was not easy to talk about because it's like, I don't know, grief, grief is weird. especially in, I feel like Western culture that, you know, there's, there's all these unspoken rules and judgments to be made about the way someone grieves. So I feel like it was almost best for me to just know and not talk about it. Um, but there was also a large part of me that was like, Bo was my introduction to, I mean, Bo gave me my internet career. Like he started Jill and Heartthrob and then Jill and Bo and then Jed Eventing and now Jed Equithery and Equithery. Like he started all of that with me and everybody knew him and loved him and celebrated him with me and it, I mean, he gave me community. He gave me a space to be heard and he was always a shoulder to cry on, even though usually he was trying to bite me (laughs) while I was doing so. But like that horse was so special and I just forever, forever grateful. And yeah, I don't know that there's really all that much to say about it, but if you aren't familiar with Bo, there is a, a video on my YouTube called Life with Bo. And if you just go to Jet Equithery, I'll link that video down below as well. But um, that was the video that I made sort of as my my processing losing him the first time when I sold him and making this video sort of of all the clips I had from start to finish with him of all of our journeys. And it starts with, thankfully, I had footage of my very first ride with him, the one where I asked to get off of him. Um, and I don't know. It's just that video is really special to me. It's also got a Kesha song over it. Animal, the billboard remix, I believe. And, um, and I'm not sure how aware I was at the time, but in watching that video back, one of the, the very first lines is, um, I'm in love with who we are, not what we should be. And I, I mean, that is really just the message that I took away from from Bo is that it's, you know, and especially in looking back over it, that a horse's value and the value of a relationship is not 
on what you think it, you know, it should be, or it could be. It's, it's about loving the partner, the, whether that's horse, human, you know, whatever for who they are and appreciating and, and cherishing that individual, not tearing them down because of what they should be. And I think that's unfortunately what Bo was a big victim of was just a lot of, a lot of things were quote unquote wrong with him. And watching that video back just <laughs> makes me sad to think that because he's just, there's no part of him that deserved that. You know, he, he was who he was and that horse had so much heart and he gave me every fiber of his being every time, you know, I mean, I competed him so many times and there's just a reason his name was heartthrob, I guess. He just, he had a lot of heart and he was so special and just so grateful to have had him as a partner and to have gotten to experience that and had, you know, a horse that was so solid, even though he wasn't, he was, and he took good care of me and he tried his heart out even when he wasn't the most talented or, you know, the most athletic, he still, he still went out there and did the damn thing. And I just will be forever grateful for that beautiful, beautiful soul that he is. And oh, mm, I just, I'm cutting back in in the episode. So it's going to be a little bit of a transition, but I just wanted to add some more thoughts. So it's a little bit off, but I took a break after I mentioned the video and, and watched it. And oh God, it's just, it, it's just, that was our relationship from start to finish. It's from the very first ride to our, our first show. And, and it's in black and white because I was artistic, obviously. And then it cuts to us doing training and, you know, all of these clips from clinics and shows and just him being a badass and being a super cool dude and just little quirky clips of him and me trying to trick train him and like, it's just wonderful. And the part that really got me is the end of the video. It's got like my favorite pictures of us and woof, 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 woof. Oh, didn't I, this episode is way all over the place. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to cut back into the past episode. Now we're talking about how much I love this Kesha song. <laughs> Such a good song. And that song always makes me think of him. And, um, it's funny that, and then that always makes me think of my friend, Mary Grace <laughs> always says that every time she hears that song, she thinks of Bo. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's, it's hard life and loss. But, um, yeah, I mean, just like to tie it all together. I mean, there's all of the, the stuff with the, the acne and the body going through changes and trying to figure out what works best. I mean, it's, it's all the same pattern, right? I mean, the same thing happened with Bo trying to figure out how to work best by him, do best by him. And at the time I thought that doing right by him meant giving him somebody else to teach, all the wonderful things he taught me and giving somebody else that companionship and that love, um, that I felt from him and, you know, me carrying that, paying that forward and appreciating him for that. And yeah, Oh, what an episode all over the place, big time. But I feel like I needed to talk about that. (laughs) 
So thank you guys for listening and check out that video of him and I don't know, celebrate him with me. But I'm going to go ahead and end this episode. So thank you guys for listening and I will catch you guys in the next one, which hopefully won't be a week late. <laughs> but thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.